Let's turn our Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. We are in part 2 of a five-part series on missions. We want to get this church mission, well, you are mission-minded, but even more mission-focused. Uh, after that, we'll get back into um, the book of John, where we, we uh, left off at Christmas time. So uh, this is going to be a long intro, a short sermon. All right, I'm just going to say that up front. This is a John, God's heart for mission. Uh, Jonah, don't be so judgmental. I had all kinds of Jonah, don't be a bonehead. Karen didn't like that one. Uh, don't be a blockhead. That was too many. It's, so don't be so judgmental. Now, I like this uh, little saying. I can tell people are judgmental just by looking at them. A little delay there. That's from a judgmental heart saying that. Okay, so thus far in 2023, we started off January 1st with 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse uh, 17, where, you know, you're a new creation in Christ. Behold, old things passed away. Everything's new. We call it the second creation. The first one's a lot easier. God just spoke into existence the world, but the second creation, he has to change people like you and me. But he said, you know what you're changing into? You become an ambassador for Christ. You're, you become an ambassador telling people, get right with God. So it's like we're, we become on mission with Christ, telling people to be reconciled. Then last week we went into Genesis chapter 12. This is the part one of God's heart for missions, where God told Abraham and thus the Jewish nation through Abraham, through you, all the worlds, all the nations are going to be blessed. The problem is the Jews became just exclusive. No, it's just us. And they began to judge everyone else. All oh, those Samaritans, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, they're all disgusting. And so they didn't take the blessing further. So when Jesus Christ came along in John chapter 3 and, and said, God so loved the world. Wait, 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 Jesus, don't you mean God so loved the Jews? No, he was taking it back to the original intent. That as God used Abraham and thus the, the nation of Israel to bless the world, in the New Testament, he's using Christ and the church to get out the good news to the world. So yeah, he so loved the world, he's going back to the original intent. Jesus said in Luke 4, I came, I was sent by God to the poor, to the broken, wait, wait, don't you mean you were sent to the Jews? Well, the Jews first, but it didn't stop there. He wanted it to the entire world. So today, it's Jonah. I call him the prophet with attitude, an attitude. So in chapter one, let's just read, oh, I said to turn to Jonah four, but I was lying. Uh, and I have this big Bible because the lights are so bright, I have to read bigger print, but it's just not happening for me. I have a light, you have a light for me? Thank you, Lynn, that was very cute. All right, now, Jonah 1.1. 1, 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. That's the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Go to Nineveh, that great city. Cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up to me. But Jonah arose and went to Tarshish. Now, uh, here's here, the, the, the drama of, uh, of Nineveh. This thing is crazy. It was an awesome city. Anybody remember how long it took to go walk from one end to the other? Three, who said that? Okay, Val, 
Surprise, surprise. Val, you get a free donut on your way out, okay? Three days, that's probably 30 miles from one end to the other. Now, they had these um, you know, high towers to, for the guards to have watch and stuff. 120 of them, the towers were 200 feet high. All right, now, there's a, a, a wall around this city um, that takes three days to go across. Anybody know how high the wall was? Val, going once, <laughs> it's 100 feet high. A hundred feet. Now, if I'm listening to the architect, he goes, I have this dream. We're going to build a wall, a hundred feet. No, 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 no. That's impossible. But then it's wide. It's so wide you could have chariot races on top. Anybody know how many chariots would fit the width of this hundred foot wall? Oh, you guys are not doing good in the new year, but there's three chariots across. This thing is massive. So he says, that great that awesome city, and yet they were awful people. Now, I, I'm toning it down because it's really disgusting, it's really disturbing. They would actually make furniture out of human skin. They would make a, a, like a love seat or, or you know, a sofa, and they would, instead of using cotton or fabric, they would use human skin to, to finish off that, that part. Now, they'd also, as they would capture, they'd surround a city, they'd capture it, they'd cut off noses, poke out eyes, cut off ears. They would, they would then skin people alive and roast them slowly over an open fire. I can't imagine that kind of torture. Not only that, if people would escape the city that they've surrounded, they would capture them and make a human fence out of them. They'd take the trees surrounding the, the village or the town, make, sharpen it, and then impale people on that facing back to the city so people can see their friends, their family members, and be terrified. Bottom line, I hate the Assyrians. They deserve hell. You see, so that's why, and plus they'd already attacked the northern part of Israel at, at least twice. Jonah is a prophet from the north, so undoubtedly he knew of people who were either raped, tortured, killed, or he had family members, loved ones who were treated thus. And he goes, I hate those people. Now, no wonder God said, I want you to go to, to uh, Nineveh. And he goes, I'm going the opposite way. So for that person, I never hear God speak I challenge that. You never heard God say, forgive that person? Did you ever hear God say, love on that person? Share the gospel with that, your neighbor? Oh, I heard that. What did you do? I didn't listen. That's the Jonah effect. And so I, I think, yeah, I think God speaks very clearly. And so here, Assyria, well, let, let me show you this. Here's a map. And you see Joppa in the lower right-hand corner. That's part of Israel. He said, I want you to go 500 miles north, northeast to Nineveh. Jonah goes, I'm going the opposite direction, over 2,500 miles to Tarshish, part of Spain, which at that time was known as the end of the world. So he's saying, I'm going as far away 
from God's will as possible. I'm trying to leave him behind. Besides, Tarshish has needs too. I can be a missionary over there. So instead of that, he said, I'm going the opposite way. And besides, no one preaches in Nineveh. No one. No one goes there. No, they're not going to receive. They're, they're just disheartened. They're, they're the worst of the worst. I fear them. I hate them. Besides, they're, they're not worthy of God's grace. So here's the deal of chapter 1 of Jonah. If you want to run from God, the devil has a boat waiting for you. And so De Jonah goes down. He goes to, in a boat. For some reason, he has money to pay for expenses. He feels he has a very easy excuse. I'm going to be a missionary in, in, on the other side of the world. So my boat is going to be different from yours. I have excuses. I, I think I can hear God's will perfectly, um, especially if it's forgive this person, share with this person, whatever. And I get, oh, I, I need a way out. The devil will provide that, but my boat will be different from yours, but it'll be provided by the enemy. The Lord prepares a fish. Now, this is great. The storm has been, there's a storm at sea, and I'm going to just, we're not going verse by verse through all of Jonah. I'm assuming you know the, the story from Sunday school, but I'm just going to kind of paint the picture, and we're going to land it in chapter 4. So he goes out there. This storm arises. It's so bad that uh, it's his fault. It, it's interesting. In 1 Peter, we're told, if, if necessary, we have trials. Sometimes they're self-inflicted. And, and the storm arises. Some storms are storms of perfection, where God's trying to mature us as Christians. There's other storms of correction, and that's what this one is. Jonah, you're going the wrong way. I have to correct your path. You brought this storm on yourself. So he gets thrown overboard and swallowed by a fish. We don't, and people think it's a whale and could be. It's just a big fish or a sea monster, uh, but it's been prepared by God. Now, you will have a fish. It'll be different from mine, but you just have to recognize this fish has been prepared by God. Now, how do you picture Jonah in the fish? In this picture, he's got a beanie. He's cooking dinner. He's relaxing. Honestly, growing up as a kid, I pictured Jonah walking back and forth. You know, like he had a chair, like, you know, a lazy boy. And he's just kind of cruising, walking back and forth. But honestly, if you picture it, he's probably more like in a coffin. Fish swallowed him up, and he's like this. Now, we one time played a game. What's the scariest thing of your life? What's the one thing you don't want to do? I don't want to get swallowed alive. And that's, Jonah's like there in a coffin for three days and three nights. It's interesting. God prepared this fish the same way he prepared manna for his people in the book of Exodus. God can prepare what is necessary. It's interesting also, Jesus confirmed this really did happen there in Matthew chapter 12. He said, as Jonah was three days and three, three nights in the belly of the sea monsters, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the earth. It's like a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this really happened, all right, according to Jesus. So here's three days have passed. We're in chapter 2 now. He was thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, and stayed that way for three days. In chapter 2, 
he has these, uh, uh, as far as I can tell, there's three possible mind games. I mean, what do you think when you're swallowed by a fish? He could go, well, as bad as this is, it's still not as bad as Nineveh. At least I'm not facing the, the Ninevites. Or the second one is, I'd rather be in Tarshish without God than to be in Nineveh with God. This is the kind of person who thinks that heaven will be okay if Jesus isn't there. We'll have food, we'll have joy. No, 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 the whole idea is in his presence is fullness of joy. Heaven would never be the same without Jesus Christ. The third idea is, well, I thought God was going to give me the desires of my heart. Now, here's a guy quoting from Psalms, and maybe this is where you are when you struggle with, why would God make me do something I don't want to do? I thought he was going to give me the desires. Of, I don't have any desire to go to Nineveh, so that can't be the Lord. I didn't hear that right. Whatever happened to sacrifice? What happened to obedience or to, to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus Christ? And so this is a, a fallacy to think, well, it's not the desire of my heart, therefore I don't think God is leading. No, sometimes it's, he's requiring obedience. So as far as the timing of his prayer, you ever think of this? Would you wait three days? Wouldn't you be in the first three milliseconds be afraid of God? I was wrong. No, no, it took him three days. Why would he wait so long? I think he's having his mind thought, well, at least I'm not in Nineveh. At least I'm not over there. I know from personal experience, when I have rebelled, when I have hardened my heart, and come on, you know what I'm talking about. I don't instantly repent as soon as something goes wrong, as soon as God's trying to get my attention. It's more like, I didn't hear nothing. I didn't feel that. Yeah, and so it takes me a while before I turn to him. So why, uh, why bother? Yeah, maybe this is you this morning that you're thinking, I've been hardened for so long. I've been Captain Knucklehead. And God's kind of put me in a position where I think he wants me to turn to repent. And why should I bother? If I was God, listen to someone like me, I wouldn't listen. Thank goodness you're not God. Because he has a, a heart of compassion. And he's arranging, he prepared this fish to get us to turn to him. Now the place of his prayer in chapter 2 is seaweed and dead fish. You ever think about that? Instead of this guy walking around in a beanie, he's in this, like a coffin experience. I don't know, can anything smell as bad as dead fish? And seaweed just kind of floating around, so I see it in his face. Uh, the temperature, uh, if it's a whale, was 98.6 uh, and humid. In other words, this place felt like hell. For three days and three nights, he doesn't give up. So the content of his prayer is more like an uncle. You know, uncle, I give. You, you don't hear words like repent or I surrender. None of that. It's more like, okay, God, uncle. But the result of his prayer is that even though those key words were missing, like repent, surrender, God knew his heart. It, it's interesting. If I'm trying to lead someone to the Lord, I'm listening to the key words, and they might not express those key words that I'm looking for, 
God looks at the heart. I had a guy come in my office years ago, and uh, life was a mess, excuse me, his, his marriage was a mess, and, and shared the gospel with him. Hey, you want to pray right now? Yeah, I want to pray right now. And he, I'm not kidding, I should have taped it. It was an amazing prayer. And it was just all of surrender and la da 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 da. And I don't want any more booze and I don't give this and that. And, and, uh, and when he's done, he goes, So how did I do? How was that? I'm thinking, we're not looking for a Grammy here. <laughs> you know, just, it's not up for an award. It's did, did you surrender your heart? Well, it's interesting that guy left my office and in a matter of weeks shot himself, committed suicide. It's not so much, I mean, we want to hear these right words, but God knows the heart. And he knew Jonah, Jonah's heart. So the result is this, <laughs> sorry, but the whale barfs him up. You know, he's probably got indigestion from Jonah anyway. Just comes up to the beach and pukes of Jonah. It's interesting, in, in Peter, we're described when we have this abundant entry into heaven. You know, as believers, like, or we can, like, whoa, she's here. This is awesome. Hey, congratulate, you made it. You kept the. Check that out with, with Jonah. <laughs> and then when he comes out, he's got to be bleached out, man. And all those stomach acids and whatever, just, just working on for three days and three nights. And he must have been a sight, must have smelled like all. And, and then he's just got to go 500 miles to the city. So. He must have attracted a lot of people. So this is one of my favorite parts. In spite of his rebellion, three days and three nights, the whale was moving. Do you ever think that? When he prays, he's there on the beach where he needed to be. So you just think, this is God's perfect timing. God knew it's going to take three days for this guy. So we'll put the storm out here, we'll put the whale out here, and we'll make it three days. If it was only two days, he'd say, okay, well, the whale will be two days' journey away. But it was three days' journey. So the whole time that, that Jonah's just stubborn and rebellious, God's saying, you know what, I'm overriding all of that, and I'm getting you to where you want to go. Uh, it's no secret I backslid for two years. I ended up in jail. I thought, okay, I'm going to go to Hawaii and surf pipeline. God's not, I literally thought this, he is not going to bother me in Sunset Beach. And so I came to Hawaii. The whale was moving. God was over, overruling my stubbornness, my rebellion, my unchristlike attitude, and he got me to where he wanted me. So here's perfect timing. The question is, was this God's punishment? of Jonah, or was it his preservation, or both? But the whale in your life, you might go, man, I have been so certain. Yeah, the whale's moving. And you can even do this hand motion if it helps, okay? Just like, hey. So I'm expecting after church to go, yeah, yeah. And a bunch of people go like this. The whale's moving. Now, if I'm Jonah, God has my relationship. Do you follow that? I have forgiven my life to Christ. I'm his, I'm in his hand, and nothing can snatch me out of that hand. 
he has my re relationship, but he wants my fellowship. He wants my obedience. He wants that koinonia. So, chapter 3 happens. Jonah sees it, and he goes, okay, now I'm going to preach the gospel, or I'm going to preach the, the word to the city. So, uh, in chapter 3, let me read this in verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, notice, the second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. In, in the military, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, isn't this standing orders? Is that the term? Yeah? Or is that a new term to you? The idea is, if it's been a while and I'm confused and I'm not sure what to do, you go back to the original order. Because unless it's changed, or unless it's been fulfilled, it's still standing. And here's Jonah going, well, wait, still go to Nineveh? I was hoping you changed your mind. I was hoping you raised up someone else. I was, I was hoping I have, didn't have to do that anymore and, and went through all this stuff, and yet I come full circle, and now it's still, it's still there. If you don't know what to do, what was the last thing God told you to do? Standing orders. The second time God's word comes in. Now, he's afraid to go there still for two reasons. Why would you be afraid? Number one, no one tells Nineveh to repent. It would be like you this morning going to the Taliban or the worst radical Islamic, you know, terrorists imaginable and going in there and say, Jesus loves you. You know, you might, you might be shot down. He said, you just don't go to Nineveh and say, God loves you. It's time to repent. Turn from your sins. You're all on your way to hell. Nobody does that. Plus, he was afraid they would repent. He was afraid God would forgive them. We'll see that in chapter 4. So then he goes, in his sermon, 40 days in judgment. How'd you like that? That's it. What's that? Four words. What if you came this morning? And after communion, I just got up and said, 40 days in judgment. Okay, let's close in prayer. You kind of left hanging. It wasn't just that. It was his tone of voice. It was his attitude. And I can't wait. In chapter 4, we read where he builds a little lean-to up on the hill. Because he's still hoping God judges them. And he wants to get up there and watch he said, oh, man, they've got to come into them. I can't wait. So 40 days and then judgment. But then they repent. Everyone repented. I mean, he's only preaching in this little area, but uh, everybody, this three days journey to get across the town, and everyone repents, even the king. We have no record of him talking to the king, but the, 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 the domino effect. God kept saving people, kept, uh, causing them to repent. So then in chapter 4, Remember I said long intro, short term? Chapter 4. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. It, it, pleased, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said was going to happen when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Isn't that why we like God? Don't we uh, uh, just love the fact he's compassionate? 
Jonah, you just, you just were part of the biggest revival in the history of the world in that this huge city, everyone repents, and you're the only one on the bummer. And it's because we, God is doing this thing that we love. Now you go, what does it mean to relent? Because sometimes people repent, and it says God relents. To, you know, we're, we're trying to explain the heart of God with human terms, with English, so we're handicapped. But basically, God says, listen, you're evil, and I'm going to judge because my standard has not been met. People repent. They raise the, their standard to now they're compliant with God's standard. And God says, oh, now I don't have to judge you. I can relent. That's the best way to explain it in our limited vocabulary. So it says, um, you're a merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, uh, verse 3, now, O oh Lord, please take my life. So he's gone suicidal. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord's saying, is it right for you to be angry? Shouldn't you be baptizing people and sharing the good news, teaching worship songs? You should be joyful, and instead you're suicidal. Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter, so a little lean-to. And he sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. He is still hoping they're judged by God. The Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. So he prepared a plant, now a worm. And the worm damaged the plant so that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a third thing, a vehement east wind. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. But he wished death for himself and said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? You betcha. <laughs> Basically, he says, yeah, it's right for me to be angry even to death. The Lord said, you've had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up on uh, one night and perished in the night. And should I not have pity on Nineveh, that great city in which there's more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? So this is how to break this down. Jonah, why are you so bummed? Here's another way to say it. Is it because I've done something good that you're bummed at me? Yeah. He said, I'm bummed to the point of death. I, I knew you were going to do that. The Assyrians didn't know that. The Ninevites didn't know that. I knew it. Just kill me now. So here again, instead of having revival and baptisms and worship songs, he's gone suicidal. Lord, I hate watching you bless other people that are less than me. This is his attitude. So Matthew 7 tells us there are times to be judgmental. There are times to pass judgment. This is in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, and in chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus says, Judge not, lest you be judged. 
But then in the context of chapter 7, he goes, well, don't cast your pearls before pigs. That's rude in your face language. What's he saying? Another translation, don't cast what is holy before swine. It takes a judgment call. It takes discernment on my part to go, this is going nowhere. This person is mocking the holy things of God. And walk away. Or you'll have a fight. The second one is uh, later on in Matthew 7. Jesus said, beware false prophets. You know, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. So their heart is a wolf, but they cover up. They look just like the rest of the sheep. And then Jesus is saying, I want you to make a distinction. I want you to have a, a judgment call. Don't be super gullible. Discern what's, what's going on. So what you do when sharing with, what, what do you do when sharing with someone and they go, well, you're judging me? I mean, we're talking about missions. Can you, let's be prepared for this. It's going to happen. And too many Christians lose their salt at that point, lose their light and go, oh, I don't want to be judgmental. You know what you say? I'm just loving you enough to tell you the truth. And it takes salt. What do you mean? You're saying, your lifestyle. Jesus said, if you, if you die in that lifestyle, you're going to go to hell. I love you enough to tell you that. Your other friends who are patting you on the back, I don't know if they love you. They're kind of tickling you on your way to hell. And so here's the, what's different about Jonah. He felt justified in being judgmental because he felt the Assyrians were such bigger sinners than he was rather than understanding the compassionate heart of God. So he prepares three things God does. Number one, a plant to give to Jonah. And if you think about that, it's really your creature comforts. Jonah, you're hot. Let me give you some air conditioning. You're hot. Let me replace your refrigerator, your stove, your car. And you go, thank you, Lord. He prepares this. The next day, he prepares a worm to take from Jonah. He goes, I'm going to remove all those creature comforts. Because you know what they've done? You got too comfortable. You're uncompassionate. You're just judgmental of everyone else. You're sitting there with your remote TV. You're sitting there. I have a remote. Don't get me wrong. You're sitting there with the air conditioner. I have air conditioner. I have a car. I have a truck. Like, I, it, that's not evil. It's that when our creature comforts take place of compassion. And that's what's going on here. So God said, I'll take that from you. And then he, he set this wind to whirl around Jonah. Well, well, that stands for, you know, crazy circumstances. But I want you to see something else. Not all storms are from Satan. Here's a storm sent by God to get his saints' attention. Wake up. Your heart is wrong. You're too comfortable. You need to see God's heart in this. I wonder if he would say that to us this morning. So here's the deal. God reasons with his prophet, Jonah, you care more for your creature comforts than you care for those people going to hell. Boy, that's in your face. He said, but can I care? You mind that I care for 120,000 kids? They don't know their right from their left. That's what we think it means here. 
120. Here's God saying, do you mind if I care for my creation? I created man, mankind in, in my image. And yeah, they, they've gone astray. And yeah, these guys are extreme. But they're still my creation. And I still have a heart for them. Look at those little kids. Come on, they're playing patty cakes. They're playing hopscotch. What are you doing? They don't know right from left. Do you mind if I have compassion on them? Do you mind if I forget, you know, or just push aside what their parents have done and what they haven't done and, and just love on them and send them good news and use you to do it in spite of being so judgmental, so higher up? So here's the main lessons we, lo- we learned from Jonah. We, we land the plane with this. Number one, the compassionate heart of God. As I just said, he created these people in his image. He values everyone's soul, which will spend eternity in one of two places. We read last week from Peter, God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He wants everybody to come to repentance. Okay? So then there's the judgmental heart of man where we think we have all these great excuses. I don't have to go to them. They're they're never going to get saved. They're not going to listen. One or two of them might. They'll be thankful for all of eternity. So it's like God is as if God is saying, hey, Jonah, look at my heart and then lose your attitude. But I have a blank there. Lose your what? Lose your slothfulness. Lose your bitterness. Lose your poor me. Lose your un- unforgiveness, your, your unrepentance. Your, your fill in the blank. My favorite part of the book of Jonah, all four chapters, is chapter five. There's no chapter five. We don't know what Jonah did. It's kind of like an open book. So now we put the pen in your hand and the page is blank. What are you going to do? What are you going to write? Yeah, wait, wait, wait. I'm in the book? Yeah. You're the next Jonah, if you will. You've been called. You have challenging situations like everybody else. You have a call on your life. You might have a ton of excuses and why you cannot do it. And you have a call in your life. Pens in your hand. What are you going to do? How neat. I think we're going to meet Jonah in heaven, okay? I'm going to say, hey, what was chapter 5? What's your chapter 5? I mean, we're at the beginning of a new year. We have this thing where we can say, you know what? May 2023 be a year of obedience, a year of salt and light, a year of fruitfulness, a year of discipline, where, God, I want this year to count. I want this year to count. 